Welcome again to another episode of On The Mic. I'm your host, Danny Osman, and today my guest is Nisun GRC Member of Parliament, Louis Ng. He's an activist as well as an MP, and we spoke about his NGO roots, how he goes about getting his way in Parliament, and his reputation for being a woke politician. We had a good chat and I hope you enjoy it. Hi Louis, how are you today? I'm fine, how are you Danny? I'm good, I'm good. How are you coping with this uh, new normal of the pandemic life? I'm coping. I mean, a lot of things are online now, which I, I do miss uh, physically meeting up with people, um, chatting. Now, um, every day we're just chatting online now. But I, I think we're well in terms of COVID, so hopefully some of the measures will ease soon. Are you doing the vast majority of your work uh, from home now? Um, I, would, I would say about 50%. I mean, as MPs, we're on the ground, still doing home visits, mm-hmm. coffee shop visits, meet the people. But okay. in terms of physical meetings, then obviously it'll be less. Like, As in with your uh, parliamentary colleagues and so on and all that, right? Yep. And interviews. I mean, this yeah. this evening, this will be your first out of three meetings on Zoom. Do you, do you think it'll be weird when we go back to so-called uh, another kind of normal? Like, uh, Do you think it'll be weird to like attend concerts, sporting events, go on holiday after all this is over? I think it will, it will be. It's, it really is a new normal in this world now, but... Um, as you see, I'm pushing in Parliament. I do think this work from home is something that should be a new norm. Mm. Uh, it's given us a chance to, to really tackle this gender stereotype that is a woman that's supposed to look after the kids. Mm-hmm. It's given a lot of men and fathers a, a chance to be at home and to help out. I just sent another message from a mother that says she's <laughs> she loves it when she picks up her kid from primary school now. There's so many fathers picking up their, their children. Didn't okay. have this pre-COVID. So I think it's, it's a... Obviously, the COVID is a huge negative, but mm-hmm. there's some positives that came out of it. Okay, uh, yeah, we'll come back to the pandemic a bit later. But um, just to get started, like um, for those who aren't so familiar with you, could you just give us a brief summary of how you came to enter politics? It's a long story, you know. It's oh. a 12-year story. <laughs> <laughs> so my journey in politics really started in 2008, mm-hmm. uh, when Minister Shamogam was the guest of honour at the Acres Gala Dinner. Mm-hmm. I remember that quite vividly at Orchid Country Club. I delivered my opening speech, sat down beside him and he says, okay, tell me what are the obstacles you face and let me try and work internally and see how we can resolve them. And then he told me quite infamously, Louis, you cannot just help animals, you must help humans as well. <laughs> okay. <And I> started, <laughs> he called me into his office just to tell me that. But right. I started volunteering at his Meet the People sessions in Chongpang in 2008. I realised that I could have an impact, again, not just on animals, but wider community issues. And started to work a lot more collaboratively rather than more confrontational approach and I saw there was benefits there. Um, one, back to animals, I could go on and rescue animals every day or mm-hmm. I could work at the policy level, which is what I've done now, have a new law called the Wildlife Pact to really effect policy level changes that will help save a lot more animals. And I wanted to do both. So I'm still at Acres mm-hmm. and I'm now MP and fighting it at policy level on a, a wide range of issues from animals to environment to single parents to smoking to um, ranking and amongst the, the civil servants. So I, I'm happy to be given this chance to speak up and fight for better policies for all. Was it a strange transition from going to a, from an NGO into politics where you're suddenly like, well, I have this much wider platform to um, raise issues? And that's a very, very common feeling. And I, I always stress that the, the, the activist that becomes an MP is actually about the same role. MPs should be activists. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're there to mobilize people. We're, we're there to fight for changes in policies. We're there to speak up. And I, I brought the skill sets in there as an MP. And to really be in parliament, to speak up and to fight for these changes, not just as an MP, but as an activist, which 
all MPs are. Mm-hmm. And from moving like from because and now you're in parliament. Um, what do you think of people labeling you as like a extremely woke MP? That's like how do you feel about that label? Um, I'm not bothered by the labels. Okay. As I always tell people, uh, you read all the comments and mm-hmm. the positive, negatives. I like them all on my Facebook page. I don't delete anything, and I ask people to judge me by my work rather than what you read. And I think that's important that I, I read all the comments, mm-hmm. and positive ones and constructive ones. I will change. Mm-hmm. And I think we can only change through negative comments, and and we work from there and try to improve policies as far as we can on to benefit everyone. And and does this reputation for being woke extend within your own party? Like, do you, do they uh, do your colleagues see you as someone who's always championing the social causes? Um, obviously they do. Yeah. I mean, I in parliament I am. Uh, the one that usually speak up for the causes that are perhaps not so popular, but mm-hmm. and that's exactly why I feel it's important that these causes, which really help the marginalised, mm-hmm. uh, should be raised in Parliament so that everyone has a voice in Parliament. So we will continue to debate the bread and butter issues, which mm-hmm. I join the debates as well. But uh, the more peripheral issues that really seldom gets debated, I want to make sure they they too get their time in Parliament. And and how do you decide what are the pressing issues that you want to champion? I mean, like, um, what yeah, what what are the major issues to you right now, and how do you come about realizing the the scale of the problem? Um, those really come from the ground. So I've what we should I I don't go out to actively find causes to fight for. Somehow mm-hmm. the causes find me in in the the time we spend on the ground. So single parents is a good example where really the for all my life I never really thought of this issue, but it was during a home visit. Yishun uh, Green Walk, Yishun mm-hmm. East. I met a single parent and she she really told me about the struggles she was facing. I looked into it further. I got in touch with Aware at that time. We did a dialogue session with single parents. I heard that, it, that not just one voice, but a whole collective, well, army of voices that mm-hmm. there really was this plight that they were, were facing. And that's why I started to speak up for them about it. Same in the smoking issue then. I mean, I've raised in parliament over the last few days that mm-hmm. uh, people approached me. This was the Adora Green residents in my area that uh, they were really affected by it. Mm-hmm. They were really worried about their health and especially their children's health and they was hoping that some changes can be made. And if you, you know, you look at parliamentary records, this issue really hasn't been actively debated. Mm-hmm. And that's why I delivered a motion to to make sure that these causes, where it's a public health issue as well, should be debated and we should find solutions to this. Yeah, I was there in Parliament actually covering your adjournment motion. Okay. Like uh, to hear you speak about the what, banning banning of smoking near windows of apartments and flats, right? Yep. Why was this issue such uh, of such importance to you? So I've looked at this for I think the last three years now. We have a whole mm-hmm. series of parliamentary questions uh, during the bill speeches, and and as I, I shared in my speech, what really shocked me the most was the data that we released that. 383 people in Singapore died in 2016 due to secondhand smoke. Mm-hmm. And that's about one person every day. And I, you know, you you are trapped at home. As I shared in my video, and if it's in a public area, you just walk away. But mm-hmm. uh, now our residents are trapped at home facing this secondhand smoke that they can't run away from uh, that it actually might kill them. Mm-hmm. And someone has to speak up for them. And I... I didn't push for a complete ban. Mm-hmm. And that's why it goes back to the original where I think we can always find the middle ground. So smokers can carry on smoking in their house, mm-hmm. but stay away from the windows and the balcony so that then the non-smokers will not have the, the impact of secondhand smoke on them. And I think that's a good middle ground to to start with. And if I recall, um, MOS Amy Ko at the time um, in reply to your suggestions said that uh, 
ban wasn't exactly feasible because of its of it possibly being extremely intrusive. So when you come to this kind of um like a, a like a, a block in the road, like um, how do you plan to proceed with this cause from here? Um, so I think they know that I won't give up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've really lined up a series of PQs, uh, parliamentary questions, and mm-hmm. I might even consider another motion because, as you know, I ran out of time to ask further questions. Mm-hmm. I think when I started the questioning was, I believe deputy speakers had eight minutes left. Oh, yes, yes. The, the next question I really wanted to ask was, then how do we enforce on the, the people who are nude at home but others can see? Mm-hmm. So we do have legislation in place which are intrusive already, but it's to protect others. Mm-hmm. And all these pieces of legislation really is about things that don't kill you. Mm-hmm. And secondhand smoke kills. And that's why I'm pushing hard to, to make sure that this isn't about a neighborly dispute that we're trying to tackle, but it really is about saving lives. And over the last yeah. two days, I mean, the number of hundreds of people have messaged me on Facebook, Instagram, on emails, some sharing that, yes, they even tried moving house. I think one lady shared she moved house and unfortunately mm-hmm. she moved to the next place where again it was secondhand smoke. Right. That's why I said the, the solutions that we're offering right now aren't solutions. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work. I mean, I really wish residents could just go to the neighbor and say, please stop smoking at the windows and balconies. Unfortunately, it hasn't really resulted in, in a big impact. But at the same time, there are those who wonder, like the typically Singapore approach sometimes is to seek penalties and legislation for this kind of thing. Like, um, Do you think there's a, there's, a, there's a danger that we might always legislate? Uh, I, I always push for that in Parliament to say we stop over-legislating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for second-hand smoke, this is a case where we have tried all the other measures. And instead of the problem becoming smaller, as I shared, it's increasing now. Probably due to our work from home. So that's a negative from that. Mm-hmm. The more people are working from home now and actually the cases that have gone to the community mediation centre due to second-hand smoke, it's actually quadrupled over the past few months. Mm-hmm. And that's why I said the, the current solutions... If they are working, it would be good, but it is the stats show that it's not working and therefore we have to find another solution. And um, I mean, I noticed that when you were in your exchange with Amy Kaur, like um, you said that it might be a matter of reframing the issue. Like it's not about a neighborly dispute, but it's a public health concern. Do you think this is um, how you've managed to be effective as an MP going forward? Like sometimes it's a matter of just reframing an issue in parliament to your colleagues and so on to get them to understand where you're coming from? It is, it is. And I, I think the, the single unwed uh, campaign that I launched mm-hmm. uh, was about that. If you remember when I, I launched the, when I submitted, tabled the parliamentary petition on behalf of the single unweds and the mm-hmm. government actually replied, no, they're not going to reform the housing policies. But I sort of reframed it, asked a couple of more questions about, uh, one, I think the, the turning point really was asking about the median salary of a single unwed under mm-hmm. 35 years old. And it, it turned out they earn about $600 a month only. And so we're, we're telling someone who earns $600 a month to go and find your own housing while you're carrying a baby. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's quite impossible. When it turns out that those above 35 earn a few thousand dollars more. Mm-hmm. And that's why I changed the battle to let's try to help the single unwed under 35 first. And that worked. Uh, we changed the housing policies to now allow single unwed, especially those who cannot afford to not have access to housing. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you might, it's about sort of re, reframing the issue, mm-hmm. um, starting smaller steps rather than a big step of helping all single and wet. So. Right. And, and has this, um, have you learned these new approaches in the five years you've been in politics? Like, have you learned better ways of how to get you what you want more effectively? 
Um, I hope I have. <laughs> it's trial and error every time. I mean, we debate in Parliament. I file the parliamentary questions. So it's a learning process, and I'm still learning. And you're you're known to be quite persistent. I mean, do you often like uh butt heads with your PAP colleagues like behind the scenes? Are uh, other people that you, how you say, rub the wrong way sometimes? I don't think so, lah. I think they appreciate where I'm coming from, and I do believe that that I, I'm not there to criticize and to mm-hmm. be destructive, but I'm there to criticize and be constructive. And if you look at the questions I've raised, uh, my speeches, I've always offered solutions. So not just say what is wrong with the policy, but Pursued it and saying what we could do better, and these are the recommendations that I, I hope you look into. And again, it went back to the start of why I entered politics to not come to criticize, but to come to offer suggestions and solutions. And I think if you go with that approach, um, speak to the ministers, the office holders, uh, then ultimately will work. And I wholeheartedly believe. And, and to be very honest, it's not just the the debates in parliament that results in changes. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things happen behind the scenes. Right. At our GPC meetings where uh, we trash things out and fight for the changes. Mm-hmm. And besides the smoking issue that you raised in Parliament, uh, what do you think are the most pressing social issues right now? So I'm fighting for a couple of things now. One is the gender inequality mm-hmm. that I raised in my speech on motion of thanks to the President um, where unfortunately is still quite a big gender pay gap in Singapore mm-hmm. where the women receive less than the men. The women are finding it harder to find jobs as compared to men, and I mm-hmm. think it's twenty twenty. It's about time to level this playing field. And you know, I shared the the terrible example of Nisun East, where mm-hmm. uh, when I built the water park, I told them to build a nappy changing room so mm-hmm. that it's family friendly, and the the builders built it in the women's, in the ladies. Oh, and I always remember yeah. that when I met them and I told them, well, yeah. why? <laughs> and they say, uh, advisor, isn't it the women change the nappies, yeah. huh? And this was 2019. Mm, when I told them, yes. no, I mean, when I bring my three kids here, where am I going to change nappies for them? And so we solved it by building a second nappy changing station in a disabled toilet. But that really showed me that there's this huge mindset that it is the woman's job to look after the children. Mm-hmm. So I'm fighting hard for that to um, tackle gender inequality and mm-hmm. to tackle workplace discrimination. Mm-hmm. Um, also fighting to help the children who are di- differently abled mm-hmm. to make sure that our you know, we have a saying where every school is a good school, but mm-hmm. now let's make sure that works also for differently abled children. I'm fighting hard for to try and see whether we can abolish ranking for mm-hmm. teachers. Right. Okay. We have said that uh, learning is not a competition, so mm-hmm. that's why we have removed ranking for our children. But then it's strange then that we have ranking for the teachers and we make them compete against each other. And I'm just wondering whether that is good for the students and the teachers or is bad for them. And so you see a whole series of questions on that now. Quite a lot. I can go on. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. So when it comes to issues like um, gender inequality or say the um, nappy room situation that you mentioned earlier, um, how much do you think these things are a matter of a generational issue? And do you really think that they can be fixed by policy changes? So that's why it has to be both. Mm-hmm. It's both uh, it always has to be both. It's legislative and then it's also the awareness on the ground. So like the, the toilet, the nappy changing station example that I shared with you, I am going to put a sign there at the toilet to say, look at this, we made a mistake. And we think that we thought that it was only women who changed nappies, but for the mm-hmm. men, head over to the disabled toilet. So that my residents can also understand what gender inequality is. And while I take the fight up in parliament, mm-hmm. on the ground, I'm also going to make sure we fight hard to change our mindsets and perceptions. 
Okay. Same with the differently able. Um, I'll fight it in Parliament, and we have our national purple parade. But I'll do one um, online purple parade for Nisun East as well, so that again I practice what I preach. Mm-hmm. Okay, and like coming back to the pandemic a bit, um, what do you think right now Singaporeans need the most to help them cope better with the situation? Um, so we've launched another round of uh, measures to help them economically and financially, and I think that has. You know, meeting up with the construction companies and all with the with ministers, you realize that really have saved them. I mean, the measures that we put in the budget have not just helped to save lives, but really livelihoods. And mm-hmm. I think without it, a lot of the companies would have gone under. Mm-hmm. So those uh, measures have to continue. But at the same time, we need Singaporeans to also realize, as we started this this conversation, that it really is a new world now, and we have to adapt to the changes. And so that also requires a mindset shift and. Uh, we need Singaporeans to understand that the, the job markets will change as well and um, everybody will have to change. And from what you've seen, like, do you think it's going to be a matter of it's going to get a bit worse before it gets better? Um, that's going to be hard to tell. Yeah. But you know, in terms of the numbers of infected I mean, infections, that is going down. Uh, but our worry always is that mm. people will then, well, lower their guard. Mm-hmm. That's where the second wave might come in. That's happened in other countries. Mm-hmm. That's why, again, we're reminding everyone to uh, make sure we don't let our guard down. Yeah, we're not at the end of this uh, battle against this pandemic yet. The fight has to go on and uh, if we do it together, then we can get out of this pandemic together. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, you've also, I'm just as referring to something yeah, you said in Parliament some time back and it's about the fear of speaking up. And I believe you're referring to the public service and the fear of drawing attention to oneself. Um, do you think things have changed or are changing? Um, are people becoming less afraid? It's changing and I, you know, I found the question again at the last sitting on the current estimated potential, the CEP in the civil service. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and it's something that I've been fighting for for quite some time now because I feel that sort of makes people a bit more worried to speak up. Mm-hmm. Because your bosses sort of estimate your potential and you don't really have the 360 um, appraisal or review that I've been pushing hard for on you. If you've seen the reply by Minister Chan, uh, we finally have done the review we finally need to make sure that the CEP is not the only thing we use to evaluate the potential of a, a civil servant. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, uh, they have really introduced and focused hard on the 360 review. Mm-hmm. So then it's, it's a full circle. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to be so worried about your bosses evaluating you. And, and I think that will give people a, a less worry and a, a greater um, ability to speak up, which I, I do see that now. So you're seeing a broader spread of views coming from even within the civil service as well? I do. And I, if you see my uh, Facebook post about teacher ranking, I mean, a lot of the teachers are speaking up. They've been contacting me. Um, and I, I think very positively, they're not, not just contacting me to you know, criticize the system, but a lot of teachers have written quite long essays about what they mm-hmm. feel uh, is wrong. But mm-hmm. most importantly, their suggestions on what, the way forward. And I think that really is beautiful. You know? They've taken the time to, sometimes really two pages of email to mm-hmm. explain how they, I, I feel like I'm the teacher now. You know? <laughs> okay. They submit their assignments to me. Right. And it's really good. They, they yeah. really looked into it. They're okay. passionate about yeah. pushing for the changes. Uh, moving on a bit, do you think the opposition plays a vital part in broadening the scope of the issues raised in parliament? And what do you think of the what's been happening so far post uh, GE 2020? They, they do play a role. And that's why I think um, the role that they play can be strengthened if 
everyone now comes up with solutions. So we're mm-hmm. there to criticize, mm-hmm. but I think that a, a debate, a good debate moving forward will be a debate of different ideas. Mm-hmm. And I am looking forward to that. So there's an idea of minimum wage. Um, as we say, I think we should debate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you want it, how much it should be, why is it better than the progressive wage model? Mm-hmm. And I'm excited when we have debates like this. I'll be very excited if next year budget, uh, the opposition comes up with an alternative budget. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so here's the PAP on government's budget and here's an opposition budget. And then we can actually debate which one is better or perhaps some points in theirs is better, some points in ours is not. And then we debate and we come up with um, amendments and then we have the best budget for Singapore based on all the ideas put forward. So as a PAP MP, um, with the greater opposition presence in parliament, are you guys like feeling the heat? Uh, our work continues, man. And you know, <laughs> with me, it doesn't make a difference. I mean, I, I push the cause uh, because these are important social causes that uh, need a voice in parliament. Okay. Not about uh, political points. Or, mm. And you know, most of the issues, sometimes people say, these are, are things that don't win votes. But mm-hmm. again, I, if I have to choose between being liked or being heard, I would like to choose to be heard. Mm, right. I think I think that's a good, healthy policy. And speaking about being heard, there seem to be a lot more young Singaporeans these days um, taking up social causes or becoming activists, which I think is a good thing. But at the same time, there are concerns that um, some of these young people might be going too far um, in terms of what they do or how they go about achieving their aims. So my question is, um, what advice would you give to a young person with a cause about the best way to achieve their goals? I think the reality is that we have our own brand of activism in Singapore, or mm-hmm. perhaps in Asia. So very different from Western activism. Mm-hmm. But we have our own brand here, and I think it works in different ways. It forces you to be more creative, that's a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, forces you to make sure you, you look at the different ways to run your campaigns and to make sure you stay within the law. Mm-hmm. And I've managed to do that, not as an MP, but as an activist for goodness for the last 19 years now. Yeah. Um, I've done protests at Speaker's Corner. Mm-hmm. We've done many things, but we've made sure that we kept within the law. And we made sure again that we've been constructive and offered solutions rather than just criticisms. Uh, we make sure that we back up whatever we say with science and with facts. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of activism that we should have in Singapore. And I, I see that now again. I'm, 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 we're meeting up with the SG Climate Rally Mm-hmm. Uh, youth and that's a very good example of people that have uh, done a protest at Speaker's Corner but again not just criticised but they are they're so passionate about trying to co-create the solutions they're coming with me with all the different ideas and solutions they mm-hmm. have and that's the, the sort of activism we should embrace in Singapore of course they have more ideas which are extreme I mean close down Jurong Island uh, mm-hmm. decarbonize the entire economy those mm-hmm. are perhaps long term goals mm-hmm. Even some of the activists were suggesting that we should have a cap-and-trade model of carbon tax instead of our current one. I mean, those issues, as I've also always shared, well, I actually don't agree with it, but I would raise it for them in Parliament. Mm -hmm. Again, so that we have that diversity of views and then Minister can share why the government agrees or doesn't agree. Everyone should have that voice in Parliament. And I I see now with the activists, we're we're getting there. You know, I've been meeting a lot of them. I'm having ice cream with them one by one and listening to the causes they fight Mm -hmm. for and and, and for me, it's really inspiring. I mean, this Friday, tomorrow, I'm meeting yeah. with a group that wants to fight for migrant workers. Okay. Um, yeah. Three or four of them that okay. have come together to try and see whether we can get an off day for migrant workers um, in Singapore. And, and that's, again, the beauty of someone that doesn't just criticize but comes up with solutions and willing to spend time on the ground, 
or with the migrants meeting on me to share their ideas and their solutions and from meeting these people like what what are the main causes in in their heads right now that they want to pursue and do you think this is a sign of a more empathetic generation it is it is and it's it's such a wide variety if you go to my facebook page so every time i meet them i share their causes mm-hmm. um, i think the last one was about stateless people in singapore mm right before that was relief singapore on the refugee efforts of how we can help the the rohingyas in bangladesh and well they spread throughout asia now um, about animal welfare mm-hmm. about climate change migrant workers mm-hmm. about gender inequality about differently abled children i mean the list goes on which is why i i say we are very active and very the activism scene is very much alive here now mm-hmm. and that's beautiful from when i started in 2001 as an activist on the the animal scene that was a very small advocacy circle chef mm-hmm. uh, grown exponentially now and just to end things off like um in terms of like talking about the pandemic again like uh, how do you hope singapore will come out of all of it like is there any are there any like silver linings or lessons we can take away i i think this pandemic has done one good thing which is to slow things down i mean people um through working from home during the circuit breaker spending time with the family i think many uh, realize what they have missed out on and that would be another speech i'm delivering i mean uh, that we, it sort of slowed down and made everyone reflect about uh, what is important in in their lives mm-hmm. and i hope that continues uh, more time with their loved ones more time with their family their friends um it also brought out a very strong community spirit where mm-hmm. you know people all walks of life step forward to help each other the migrant worker was a, a fantastic example where Singaporeans really from all walks of life step forward to help mm-hmm. our migrant friends. Yes, that's right. And I hope that that very strong sense of community uh, really continues. And I I see it continuing. So I'm optimistic that while this pandemic was absolutely disastrous on our economy, on on the health and life and livelihoods, mm-hmm. uh, there is a silver lining. Right? It's got the community together. Um, it's got people more bonded and and I hope this will continue. Not the COVID, but the sense of community. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hope for the same things too. Uh, well, thank you very much, Louis. It's been great talking to you. Thanks, Danny. Okay. Have a good evening. Uh, you too. And that's all we have for on the mic this week. The show is brought to you by Yahoo Singapore, and you can also find us on Acast, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. We'll have more great interviews coming your way really soon, so do stay tuned. Until next time, this is Danny Osman wishing everyone a great weekend.